Uh, So I'm going to be reading Philippians chapter 4, verse 2 to 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Eudia and plead with Saitachai to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose name are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present yourselves requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Michael and I'm the pastor here at Chapel Hill. Uh, Before I launch into today's sermon... I just want to take the opportunity to have a bit of a pastor spot to give a ministry update. Uh, Two weeks ago, we had a vision meeting uh, where I shared, uh, I guess, a bit more reflections on the spiritual state of our church. Last Sunday, we farewelled a staff member. Uh, And so today, I wanted to just give a few quick updates on some of the things that uh, me and the elders have been working on uh, for us to move forward as a church Uh, So the first thing I want to say is that I've met with the Canterbury Community Group, uh, had an opportunity to listen to them, see how they're going, and discuss some options on um, how they want to continue with their community group. I'll touch base with them this week, uh, and hopefully they'll come to a decision uh, whether that group stays with some new leaders or whether that group's, uh, I guess, members moves to existing community groups. Uh, Kevin and I have also drafted the roster with our interim crèche, which we've started the last couple of weeks ago, for the next 12 weeks. And so we've got a roster scheduled in from now until the next sermon series, which is on the Ten Commandments. Uh, so that takes us into, I guess, the next 10 to 11 weeks. I'm going to be planning to meet with a welcoming team, uh, just to catch up with the volunteers that do our welcoming and morning tea each Sunday. And I also plan to meet with our community group leaders uh, just to confirm what our community groups will be like for the rest of this year. Uh, We've announced that our next community breakfast is the first Sunday of July. And uh, we decided that we're going to have community breakfasts every two months on the first Sunday of each month. And the alternate months, we're going to have potluck lunches. So one month we'll have community breakfast to serve our local community. The other month, we're going to all bring a dish, have potluck lunch uh, as a way to have more opportunities to fellowship. And this week, um, myself, Nate and Ben, who are our elders at the church, will be meeting up with Luke Tattersall and Daryl So. They used to be our interim elders when we were starting off. And we're going to seek their guidance in terms of reviewing our medium and long-term plans as we move forward as a church. 
so that's a few snapshots. I'll probably be giving regular weekly updates just to keep everyone informed uh, with how we're going to move forward in the church for the next couple months till the end of the year. So let me quickly pray again, and we're going to ask God to help us to hear his word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God that speaks to us today through the words of the Bible. And so, Father, we pray that we might come to the Bible knowing that it is indeed you, your voice, who is speaking to us today. And so, Father, may your word be helpful, may your word be encouraging, and may your word change our lives as we see how our lives can be changed by Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so we're currently in a sermon series on Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Uh, So this is a book in the Bible, if you've got your Bibles open, and that book is actually a letter. Uh, It was a manuscript letter that has been recorded for us today in the Bible, and it was the Apostles Paul's letter to a church in Philippi. And this letter is all about Jesus, and it's a letter all about joy. Paul shows us in this letter in a very personal way that life in Jesus produces a supernatural joy. Even in unlikely places like the church in Philippi, a church in challenging circumstances. We've learned so far as we're going through this letter, the reasons why the Philippian church was in a challenging place was because the church was facing opposition externally, and it was experiencing disunity internally. Paul, so far in his letter to the Philippian church, has been encouraging and urging the Philippian church to find joy in Christ and to find their their unity in Christ. And throughout the letter so far, Paul has been calling upon the church members to joyfully pursue unity through humility in numerous ways. Paul has thoughtfully, carefully laid out the biblical, pastoral, personal reasons why the church are to work towards unity through many general general encouragements. And they've been doing that to prepare their hearts for now a direct rebuke. Paul now at the end of the letter calls out the major cause, the root problem of the disunity in the Philippian church and it all stems from two women, two leaders fighting in the church and so we read from verse 1, therefore my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with you, Eudea, and I plead with you, Sintichi, to be of the same mind in the Lord Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. The Philippian church are to stand firm in the Lord together that they might strongly face the opposition before them. But sadly, there were two women disagreeing and fighting in the church And sadly, they let their differences define their relationship rather than let Christ define their relationship. And so because of that, they weren't standing firm together in the Lord. And Paul names these two women publicly and specifically, Judea 
and Syntyche, pleading with them to agree in the Lord. You can imagine how tense and unsettling that would have been to have those names read out in front of the congregation. I mean, that would be like me hopping up here and saying, as part of my talk, I'm going to name two people and tell them, would you please sort yourselves out? And you're thinking, did he really single out Joe and Mary in front of all of us? I mean, that's a bit in your face, isn't it? Now, Paul was very partially sensitive and he was a very wise leader. So for Paul to publicly call out and correct Judea and Sintichi, it meant that these two women were not just kind of the two old ladies bickering over the type of biscuits to have over morning tea. For him to call these two women out like that, it meant that these two women were leaders in the church who were causing a massive division in the church. If Paul was willing to call them out publicly in this way, it meant that their disagreement was causing serious division in the church. What we know about these two women from these verses is that they were both serving alongside Paul, contending for the cause of the gospel. They were leaders serving with Paul. And he says that their names are in the book of life, which means they are God's people. They are saved by Christ. They are Christians. So whatever that they're arguing about and disagreeing about, it couldn't have been, say, theological. They weren't false teachers teaching false things from the Bible because Paul would have rebuked them very strongly if they had been false teachers because we've seen him deal with false teachers quite directly and firmly earlier in his letter. So they were disagreeing over something minor, something that's not central to the gospel, not It's not a salvation issue. And so Paul shows us the reality of divisive people in the church. And he shows us not to fall into two extremes when treating divisive people in the church. One extreme that we are to not fall into is to view that divisive people in the church are purely evil people and to question whether they're even Christian because of their behavior. Paul shows to us that these women that are divisive people, but they're genuinely a Christian, and they sincerely are mission and ministry-minded. The other extreme that we are to not fall into is to excuse or justify a person's divisive behavior because they show themselves to be a genuine Christian, and they have a genuine desire to serve and be on mission to Jesus. A passion for God, a willingness to serve, does not cover over divisive behaviours. See, Paul acknowledges and affirms that these two women are genuine believers and they have genuine hearts to serve God and serve the church. But Paul still rebukes them for their divisive handling of their disagreement. So the problem was not that they had a disagreement. The problem was how they were handling their disagreements. The way that they were handling the disagreements were hurting each other, it was hurting the church family, and it was undermining the unity of the church to stand firm together in the Lord. And so Paul treats this as a serious problem by an open rebuke to correct their behaviour And he calls upon a person who Paul identifies as 
someone as his true companion to step in, mediate, reconcile Judea and Sintachi to be of the same mind in the Lord. So division in church happens with well-meaning Christians who are genuine Christians, who have a genuine desire to serve Jesus, but they let their disagreements over non-salvation issues get out of control. So what are some things that we, as well-meaning Christians, might disagree on that are not salvation issues? Let me give you a few secondary non-salvation issues that Christians have got themselves worked up over the years. When it comes to doing things in church, some examples are how do we do communion? Bread, biscuits, gluten-free bread, weekly, monthly, upfront. How do we do baptism? Baptizing babies, baptizing adults who confess the faith. How we do music in church? They say that music is a gift from heaven, but so often we use our music preferences as Satan's weapons for conflict and divisions. How we exercise spiritual gifts, different ministry philosophies, types of leadership styles. And when it comes to Christian living, we can disagree on politics, social, ecological issues, parenting styles, schooling preferences, homeschool, public school, private school, how to dress, how to handle wealth, standards of godliness or worldliness. But it's not just theological and biblical differences. We can have disagreements over anything, like personality clashes, over misunderstandings, over what someone has said. It could be even over an interpretation of silence. Someone didn't say hello to you. They didn't message on the group chat. They didn't RSVP on the event. And so you hold that against them. See, the problem is not that we have disagreements in church. No church is without disagreements. The problem is how we respond to our disagreements. The problem is letting our disagreements define our relationships, not Christ. We all have someone that when we see them, the first thing that comes into our head is what we disagree on, how we're at odds with them. And that is the problem. We let our disagreements define our relationships, not Christ. We are to stand firm in the Lord. We are not to stand firm in our disagreements or our grudge-keeping or our argument-having. We are to stand firm in the Lord. So when we have disagreements and conflicts that are matters not central to the gospel, that are not salvation issues, what are we meant to do about it? Well, Paul tells us helpfully from verses 4 to 9 how to deal with conflict and disagreements on secondary issues. Now, if you look at verses 4 to 9, they're very famous and popular verses. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you probably come across this verse, these verses somehow, somewhere. And they're popular verses about prayer. And it's commonly and generally applied to our struggles with worry and anxiety. And these verses can be the very appropriate biblical responses to our worry for all kinds of things. But we need to notice 
it in its immediate context. In its immediate context, what happens before is a disagreement between Judea and Sintichi. And so these verses about prayer are verses in response to disunity in the church, not just prayer about anxiety in general. And so we should also read and apply these verses also to the issue of disunity. And the big thing that Paul hammers home when dealing with our disagreements is that we are to focus on Christ together. So the first thing that Paul tells us in, to do in dealing with conflict and disagreements is in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Immediately, Paul is getting them to direct their attention away from their disagreements to get their attention towards Christ and to rejoice in the Lord. He says, I will say it again, rejoice. And so that's the first thing that we are to do when we are disagreeing over minor issues. We are to rejoice in the major issue, to rejoice that we are all saved by the blood of Christ. Rejoice that in all things God is sovereign and is working out his own vision and plans for us, his church. We are to rejoice that we are to share in the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, changing us day by day. Rejoice in the Lord always. And when we rejoice in the Lord together, not only do we focus on the major things rather than the minor things, chances are that when we rejoice together, focusing on Christ and finding our joy in him, it may well serve to heal the divide and conflict that we might have with one another. And so next time, next time you feel yourself wanting to avoid someone at church because you think differently to them, stop. Or next time you feel yourself wanting to say something, email something, message something about your differing opinion, just stop. Stop and take a moment to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in God's salvation of that person that you feel like avoiding or feel like contacting. Focus on the joy of knowing the same Lord together. Don't get so hung up on your disagreement. Don't let your disagreement define your relationship. Let your joy in the Lord define your relationship. The second thing that we are to do is to relate to each other with gentleness. Verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. We're not to gee ourselves up for a fight. Instead, we are to deal with our disagreements with gentleness in such a way that everyone else can see how gentle you are in relating to one another. So next time you feel that your blood pressure is rising, it's boiling, as you think about talking to someone about how things are done in church or whatever matter, just stop and remember that you're speaking to a dear brother and sister in Christ. You know not to speak harshly to a colleague at work, then how much more to not speak harshly to a dear brother and sister in Christ. And so be gentle. And note we are to be gentle because the Lord is near. Paul again is turning our attention to Christ. The Lord will one day return. His day is near. 
And this is the most important thing. So relate to one another as if the Lord's return is the most important thing. Don't let your disagreements define your relationship. And so don't be relating in frustration, anger, and gossip and slander. Rather, both of you wait for the Lord's return so that you relate with one another in gentleness. There's more at stake when the Lord returns. He is near, so be gentle with one another. And the main thing is to stand firm together until the Lord returns. The next thing that we are to do is to pray to guard against worry. Look, being in conflict and disagreement with someone can cause all kinds of anxieties, doesn't it? You've probably been in that situation, whether in church, in family, or in work. You're anxious about what the other person might think of you. You're anxious about what the rest of church might think of you. You're just anxious all the time. And again, Paul, in our anxiety, shifts our focus away from ourselves and onto Christ. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't be anxious. Through Christ, turn to your Heavenly Father and pray about one another. Pray for one another with thanksgiving for one another. And so right now, if you're having a disagreement with someone, with church or outside of church, just stop and pray for them and pray for yourself. Stop, just pray for them and pray for yourself. And when we come to God in prayer, Paul adds a delightful truth about what God will do as we pray through our disagreements. Read with me together, verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we come to God in prayer, God will give us his peace. God doesn't change the disagreement but he does change your heart so that your heart is guarded from worry and anxiety so that you can deal with your disagreement peaceably without fear. Because once you have disagreement and you add fear and anxiety into that mix, it's going to be a chaotic, emotional, toilsome experience. But we can still talk about our disagreements with the peace of God. So now Paul gives us his final instruction. And so whether you're in the middle of a disagreement with someone or whether you're on the sidelines trying to help people who are having a disagreement, what are we to do? Verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received and heard from me and seen in me, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. See, Paul really, really, really doesn't want us to dwell on our differences. His final instructions is again to direct our minds to Christ. And if you can just read the tone of his voice, he's saying, look, think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Think about anything, 
just absolutely anything that's pure, anything that's lovely, anything that's admirable, just don't think about your differences and disagreements. Do you get the sense of his tone? He's just like, just cast your mind away from anything that is good. Anything to keep your mind from your differences and disagreements. And so when you are in a disagreement, stop and think about whatever praiseworthy aspect about Jesus and think about that. Think about Christ's humility. Think about the purity of the righteousness that we have in Christ. When we think about those things, it will cause you to rejoice in him, to be gentle with others, and to be able to pray for yourself and for others. So that together we will labor in standing firm in the Lord, not labor in winning the argument or getting our way. Because, Paul says, the Lord is near. The Lord will return. The most important thing is not how we perhaps do things in church. Jesus is not going to get worked up about communion, music, politics, schooling in the way that we get so worked up about the most important thing is that we stand firm together until Jesus returns. Jesus' most important thing is that he wants to see us run home to him. And we are to do whatever it takes so that together, side by side, we run home to Jesus together. Can you see now how verses 4 to 9 is all about unity? Hopefully you've been reading it afresh because I've read it afresh. It's all about getting over our disagreements in order to stand firm in the Lord together. And so brothers and sisters, as we negotiate our own differences, as we misunder each other as it will happen, as we have our own personality clashes, in amongst all of that, what are we to be doing? We're to be focusing on Christ agreeing in the Lord on the major things to be joyfully standing firm in the peace of God. And so when we find ourselves in a disagreement with someone at church, the most important question we need to ask from what we've learned from this passage, the most important question to ask is how can I help my brother and sister stand firm in Christ? either in the start or the thick or the height of your disagreement, this is the question to ask. How can I help my brother and sister in Christ to stand firm? And so if there's a disagreement that you feel strongly about and it's hurting your relationship with others, if it's hindering you, for you to contend side by side with others for the cause of the gospel, if in all honesty your primary aim is just to get what you want and you find yourself you can't be humble and consider the needs of others, you find yourself you can't be gentle, then maybe, maybe the best thing to do is just to drop the issue. Because at the end of the day, we're not talking about major things, we're talking about minor things. And we don't want these minor disagreements to undermine the most important thing we are to do. And that's to help each other stand firm in Christ. Because we want to be a church family where our relationships are defined by Christ, not our disagreements. Our relationships are to be defined by Christ and never about our disagreements. And that 
might mean that some things don't go our way and that's going to be okay. Because together we want to be a church that joyfully stands firm in the Lord. We are focused on him and he defines our relationship so that we can always be asking, how can I help my brother and sister stand firm in the Lord? Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you made us different. We thank you that in all of our differences, Father, you brought us all together to your Son. And so, Father, we can agree in him because he is the one that unites us in all of our differences. And he is so great that he dwarfs everything and anything else. So we pray that you give us the great clarity of our mind and a deep love in our hearts that no matter what happens, even in our disagreements, we would have the strength of conviction to help one another to stand firm in the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.